I'm going to invite Logan up to come and read our scripture passage this morning. See, I'm not as short as you, and I don't want to fall over. I already got one cast. I don't need another. I might break the other arm there, Logan. <laughs> the Fellowship of Believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching in the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thank you. <laughs> Just like his dad. As we get into this passage, um, we're in a series on the vision of the church, where we're headed. It's called Dear Church, Where We're Headed. And so um, I, a, a few months ago when I was praying on a Sunday night with the ministry staff and our spouses, uh, I had an unusual experience uh, during the prayer. I don't usually have this kind of experience when I'm praying. In fact, I can count on maybe one hand the number of times that I've had this experience during prayer. Um, I, was, I saw a picture um, and I don't usually see pictures. Uh, some people get pictures a lot when they pray. Usually I get song lyrics or a verse will come to mind or a word or a phrase. That's how God typically speaks to me. But a, a few times in my life, he has shown me a, a picture. And this one was a rather extended picture. And it was for Lakeview Church. We were praying about the direction and the future of Lakeview Church with the ministry staff and our spouses. And so I wanted to share this with you. I've been mulling it over, meditating on it, praying on it the last few months. And this series is the time to share it as we're talking about where we're headed as a church. So as I was praying, I could see in my mind's eye, in my imagination, um, that I was going skiing now, I've never been downhill skiing, so I don't know how accurate what I imagined was, uh, but anyway, that doesn't matter. So in this, uh, in this vision that I got, I was going downhill skiing, and I, and I knew in this that I was representative of Lakeview Church. So it wasn't just me going skiing, it was Lakeview Church. That's who, it was us, we were Lakeview Church. And like, we get to the ski lodge, and we go in, and we're talking to the guy behind the counter, and he's helping him get all the gear, the right skis, the right boots, the, the big goggles and everything, all that stuff that you need, and talking about how to ski and different techniques and what you do with those little stick things and, uh, and all that stuff. And, and then the next step is to go get on the ski lift. So you get on the ski lift, and it starts going up the mountain. And it's slow, but as you're going, you get different views. You see the mountain, you see the slopes, you see different things. And then you get to the top of the mountain, you get off the ski lift. And in my imagination, there was a, a flat spot sort of at the top of the mountain. And people were kind of skiing around a little bit. And, and we, we go, you ski a little bit, and you kind of get uh, your legs under you. You get a feel for it. And I don't know if this is how it really is with downhill skiing, but there was a line um, going up to where the slope was. And there was a guy standing there at the line and, you know, one person would step up to the edge and, and he would kind of watch and when it was, they had gone far enough, he'd tell them, okay, it's your turn, you go down. And then they would go down. Then the next person would come up. So you go and get in the line. 
And every time a new skier goes down the slope, the line gets shorter and you get closer to the front. And as you get closer to the front, the anxiety starts to build. Am I going to die? You know, like, am I going to hit a tree? Like, what is it? Is, uh, is there a Yeti out there that's going to come chase me and eat me? I don't know. And so <clears throat> you get it, you're getting up, you're getting up, you're getting up. And finally, we got to the very edge and we're looking down this slope. And the guy's standing here and he's like, go, go, go. It's your turn. Go. And there's a moment of panic because you know, once you step off the edge, there's no turning back. You're skiing. You're, go- you're going. You're either going to ski or not. And I felt a challenge from the Lord. Will we step off the edge and ski the slope or will we turn around and go back to the lodge where it's safe and comfortable and known? What are we going to do? God is calling us. He's, he's, he's standing there, go, go, go. It's your turn, it's your turn. Are we going to ski or are we going to turn around and go back to what's safe and comfortable? And I've been thinking about that and I've been praying about that. And, and this series that we're in is about skiing the slope. Uh, and so um, let, me, let me get into that in a, a different way now. Uh, when I was in seminary, I read a book called Leading Change by John Cotter. It's a classic book. It's not a Christian book. It's just a, a book uh, published by Harvard Business Press. It's about how to uh, lead change in any group of people. And John Cotter identifies eight steps to leading change, a change process. And the first step is establish a sense of urgency. Because what he says is, if people are comfortable and complacent, then no matter how compelling the vision is, they won't change. They won't move. They won't get up and go. You have to establish a sense of urgency. I've been here at Lakeview for four and a half years. We've been in a season of transition as a church, trying to figure out what God's calling us to. And and so I want to go through some of these steps here. And the first step to change is establish a sense of urgency. So let me do that this way this morning by asking this question. Is what we've been doing working? Now, when I say what we've been doing, I don't necessarily mean us at Lakeview Church as, as what we've been doing. I mean the church in America, of which Lakeview is one. We're a church in the United States. We do things the same way that a lot of churches in the United States do. Uh, but is what the church in America, is what we've been doing working? And I came across a study this week that absolutely floored me, that shocked me out of a state of spiritual slumber. This study uh, is called the American Worldview Inventory 2021. It was a research study conducted by Dr. George Barna, who is one of the most widely regarded research scientists uh, in, the, in that game. He's uh, advised for presidents. He's done research for the military. He uh, is the founder of the Barna Research Group. He is now the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. He's a a believer, and he is a well-respected research scientist. And he did a study called the American Worldview Inventory 2021, and he just published it. And I uh, saw some of the statistics on this study, and it shocked me. So uh, this question, is what we've been doing working? Is the American church, is it working? Well, uh, according to his study, 69% of Americans self-identify as Christians. Now that sounds really good. Seven out of 10 Americans would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean? What does it mean? 
And he wanted to go beyond just self-identifying as a Christian and find out what do these people actually believe? What do Americans actually believe and how do we live? And what he found when he started asking questions about their theological beliefs, their faith beliefs, and their lifestyles, what he found is only 6% of Americans have a functional Christian faith. Only 6%. Now, if I said to you, hey, I'm going on a trip, I'm going to visit a country that's 94% not Christian, you would think, oh, he must be traveling to Turkey or Egypt maybe or someplace like that. No, it's the United States. Only 6% of Americans have a functioning Christian faith. What does that mean, a functioning Christian faith? It means that we believe what the Bible teaches and we try to live it. And so here are some of the things that he asked as he was exploring this. Some of the results of his study, 58% of Americans who say they're Christians don't believe that the Holy Spirit is real. 58%. So you go get 10 random Christians off the street, six of them will say, yeah, I don't really believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, given that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a child of God, what does that tell you about the state of Christianity in our country? 58% of those who say they're Christians don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is real. 72% say that people are basically good. We're not inherently sinful. We're not born sinners in need of a Savior. We're born basically good. And if we sin, it's because society has oppressed us in some way and caused us to sin. And 60% believe that if a person is good enough, they can earn their way into heaven. Now, 60% of Christians, of people who say they're Christians, say, well, you can earn your way into heaven if you're a good enough person. Now, these aren't like highly nuanced theological positions, so you have to get into the Greek and the Hebrew to see they're not these like deep uh, theological things that books have been. These are like basic, basic Christian teaching, basic biblical doctrine. And so many of us don't even believe or understand or agree with them or live by them. I just want to make it really clear. We at Lakeview, we are a church that does not believe that people are born basically good without needing a savior and that if you're a good enough person, you can get to heaven. That's not, the, that's not what the Bible teaches. We believe the message of the Bible, that God created us to live in a relationship with him. However, our sin, we are sinners by nature and by choice. Our sin separates us from God. Sin can only be paid for with death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 3. But Jesus Christ paid the price of sin by dying on the cross and rising again. Now he holds out everlasting life and forgiveness to all who would come to him in faith and receive it. And life everlasting begins the moment you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. That's what we believe. It is available to anyone. We don't, but so many Christians don't believe this. In fact, only 6% of Americans have a functioning Christian faith. And here's the, here's the stat that really knocked me down. Of Americans aged 18 to 29, Only 2% have a functioning Christian faith. 98% of Americans in their 20s do not have a functional Christian faith. I'm glad that, that we have Lakeview Kids going today and that we have a lot of parents here today because I wanted to point that out and I wanted to say this is one reason why we are experimenting with different ways of doing youth and children's ministry here. 
Now, we don't have it all figured out, but we're, we're doing things differently. We're not going to keep doing the same old things that all the other churches have been doing for the last 40 years. I had a, a youth pastor tell me one time the, the three P's to success in youth ministry, pizza, pop, and pixie sticks. <laughs> and we see what that has produced. 98% of Americans in their 20s do not have a functional Christian faith. So here's, here's where I'm at with that. When we got 30, 40, 50 kids downstairs sometimes, I want more than one of them to be walking with Jesus in 20 years. That's what my goal. I don't care how inconvenient it is that we don't have kids ministry every week. I don't care how inconvenient. I just want to drop my kids off and go. I, I, that's great. I'm fine. But, but I want your kids to still be walking with Jesus in 20 years. That's the point. That's the target. I don't care how many kids we have in the program. If they're not walking with Jesus at age 25, we haven't done anything. We haven't accomplished anything. So uh, first step in leading change, establish a sense of urgency. Have I done that? Have, have we realized facing the brutal facts, establishing a sense of ur urgency, things have gone wrong somewhere in American church? The next steps in the leading change process are create a guiding coalition and develop a vision and strategy. We've done that. The elders and the ministry staff have spent the last three years praying, studying, reading, Studying the Bible, praying, talking, listening. And we believe that we have a vision and a strategy that is from the Lord for Lakeview Church. The fourth step in the process is to communicate that vision. And that's what this series is about. Last week, uh, Josh talked about, dear church, nothing has changed. Right? The mission that God gave us 2,000 years ago to go and make disciples is the same mission that we have today. That's not changed. Nothing about that has changed. The sermon today is titled, Dear Church, Everything Has Changed. Because while our mission has stayed the same, our context has radically changed. And if we're going to carry out that mission, we need to do some things. So uh, this morning I want to talk about uh, how the target has moved and how we're going to move the target back. It's clear that the target has been moved. How are we going to move it back? And uh, Josh brought in this nice uh, target here. I don't know if you noticed this, but there are a whole lot of little holes right here. So, Josh, good job. Maybe next time go like 15 yards instead of 10. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. He's, he's a much better shot than me. So, uh, imagine that you are doing target practice and you're, and you're shooting and you consistently shoot three feet to the left. Aim, I aim right at the heart and I shoot and it's three feet to the left. So I do it again, aim right at the heart and I shoot and it's three feet to the left. I do it again, aim right at the heart and I shoot and it's three feet to the left. Arrow after arrow after arrow, consistently three feet to the left. What do we often do? Move the target three feet to the left. Now I can aim at the same spot before and I'm hitting the target, right? I, I, instead of changing my aim, instead of changing my sights, I just move the target to where my arrows are falling. And, and somehow, churches in America have done that. We began to see success in different things that aren't bad, but they're not necessarily exactly our mission. And rather than re, uh, recite, change our sights, we just move the target. So I want to talk about three ways that the target has moved. First of all, the target has moved 
from a disciple-making movement to a church growth movement. Somewhere along in the 1970s, early 80s, there was a movement that swept through American Christianity called the church growth movement. You can see it in the books. There were all kinds of sociological studies done. There were a lot of books that were written right in those two decades uh, about uh, how to grow your church. If you follow our formula... Your pastor wears a Hawaiian shirt. You uh, get rid of your hymnals, throw away your organ, bring in the drums and the guitars. If you do that, take out your crosses out of the sanctuary. Make your church feel as unchurchy as possible. Don't really lay on the gospel really thick. Don't talk about sin because that's offensive. Follow our little formula, blah, 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 blah. Here's your marketing strategy. Here's this, here's this, here's this. You will succeed. And what was the definition of success? Not spiritual formation. It was butts in the seats and dollars in the bank. Instead of counting spiritual transformation, we count nickels and noses. And that was, the, that was the definition of success. And all these churches jumped on the bandwagon. They, oh, we've got our marketing strategy, got our website, got our app, got this, got that. The, and, and, we, and we'll grow, we'll grow, we'll grow. Now, <clears throat> we lost sight of the target. The target is spiritual formation, I want to say this. Church growth is not a bad motive. There's nothing wrong with wanting your church to grow. More people here means more people hearing the gospel. Right? So the motives and the heart behind this are good. We want people to come in so they hear the gospel, so they receive forgiveness and freedom in Christ. However, church growth is not the target because in all honesty, it doesn't matter if we have 200 people here or 300 or 500 or 1,000 on Sunday morning. If we're not discipling them, if we're not loving them, if we're not taking care of them, if we're not helping them take a step with Jesus, what are we actually accomplishing? All we're doing is getting a few hundred people together, right? The point is discipleship and spiritual formation. Look at Acts 2. Verse 46 and 47, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In those two verses, we see our responsibility and God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to love God, to love one another, and to make disciples. To gather together to worship and praise God, to, to meet in our homes, to share meals together, to, to love one another, and to make disciples. That's our job. What's God's job? Adding to their number. Our job is not to add to our number. Does that mean we don't invite people? No, no, no. Invite people. <laughs> Bring them. Bring them to church. Uh, have a couple of friends from church over and have a couple of neighbors over to your house. Let, let's interact. How, uh, Talk to your neighbor. Hey, I'm going to go to the Soton Sportsman's Club and go shooting with a couple of my buddies. You don't have to tell them that they're from church. Do you want to come? Oh, sure, I'll go shoot. Right? Get together. Do these things. Bring people here. Bring them on a gospel community night. All that stuff is good. But it is God's responsibility to worry about numbers, not ours. Our responsibility is to love the people that God has sent us, to care for them, and to help them take a step with Jesus. And if God says, Lakeview Church, here are the number of people that you can love well, 50, then we'll be a church of 50 and we'll do our best to love those 50 people well, to love one another well. And if God says, oh, Lakeview Church, you could do that well with 200, then we'll be a church of 200. 
And we'll do everything we can to love and care for those 200. And if God says, oh, Lakeview Church should be a church of 750, then that's what we'll be. But that's God's decision, not ours. And our goal isn't to become the next megachurch. That's not our mission. Our mission is to love God, to love one another, and to make disciples. The target has moved from a disciple-making movement to a church growth movement. Another way the target has moved is from a spiritual community to a Christian nonprofit organization. In the New Testament era, churches were not organizations. They were communities. They were groups. It was a new social group. Very diverse. Jews and Gentiles. Rich and poor. Men and women. Slaves and free. People from all different walks of life who would never interact out in society came together in the church and called one another brother and sister. It was actually scandalous how diverse it was. They weren't an organization, they were a community. They were a spiritual family. We see that in Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, look at that little word, the fellowship. That's such an important word. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship. See, fellowship is not something we do or have, it's something we are. Churches a lot of times say, say, oh, we're going to have a time of fellowship later today. It means we're going to have a potluck or a tailgate party or whatever. Or we're going to do fellowship through our small groups program. But fellowship isn't what we do. It's not what we have. It's, it's who we are. It's what we are. It's like in uh, The Lord of the Rings. You had the, the fellowship of the ring. Now, Bilbo and Legolas, not Bilbo, Frodo and Legolas and, and Samwise, they didn't have potlucks together. That's not what made them the fellowship of the ring. No, they were the group of people that uh, shared a common interest in, in supporting Frodo the ring bearer and had a common mission to destroy the ring of power. They were the fellowship of the ring. We are the fellowship of believers. We are the group of people who share a common Savior in Jesus Christ, who share a common Holy Spirit, and who share a common mission to go and make disciples. That's what the fellowship is. It's not what we do. It's not what we have. It's who we are. We're not an organization. We're a spiritual community. And somewhere along the way, the target got moved. Churches became more institutionalized. And I get it, as numbers grow, you have to become more institutionalized and more organized. Uh, I, I know a guy that has 72 first cousins. 72 first cousins. He's one of 15 kids. And when he, he said, when I have family reunions, it's like 250 people there. It's a lot. You're going to have a family reunion with 250 people. You're going to have to be really organized. Where's the food? How's it going to go? Where's the venue? All that stuff. So as the church grew, it had to become more institutionalized, more organized. I get it. But we're not an organization. We're a family. Somewhere along the way, churches began to focus on community organizing instead of personal evangelism. Well, I don't really feel comfortable talking to my neighbor about Jesus, so what will we do? We'll just organize a big event at the church, and maybe they'll come through, and maybe the gospel will be like COVID. I'll cough on them, (coughs) and they'll get saved. I don't have to actually talk to them about Jesus, right? We'll just do a big thing at the church. Is it wrong to have a big event? Is it No, that's fine. Community organizing is great, but not at the expense of personal evangelism. Because we're not an organization, we're a family. Uh, Somewhere along the line, churches said uh, our job is to provide spiritual goods and services, not lead people on a pathway of spiritual transformation. 
Because spiritual formation is a whole lot messier. It's, it takes a whole lot more time, and it's a whole lot harder to measure. It's a whole lot easier to say how many butts were in the seats, how many dollars are in the bank, how many people signed up for this, how many books were ordered, how many, like we measure all that, that's super easy. It's a lot harder to say how is somebody, how is John doing in his walk with Christ? How is he forming into the image of Christ? Oh, well, how do I, that's hard, right? So we said, oh, we'll just provide spiritual goods and services. And then Christians became spiritual consumers instead of spiritual family members. But we're not consumers. We're brothers and sisters. We're aunts and uncles. We're grandparents. We're spiritual fathers and mothers. That's what we are. When um, I went on uh, a mission trip in Guatemala in 2015, I've shared stories about that trip before. It was a life-changing experience for me. But we were uh, working with this uh, home of teenage girls who'd been uh, horribly abused in every imaginable way. And yet they had been rescued out of that. They had put their faith in Christ. They were being educated. They were being just, it was a beautiful program. And we went there and spent time with them. And they called me Tio. It was just Spanish for uncle. Now they didn't call me Tio because I was special. They called all the guys on the trip Tio. And all the women on the trip, they called Tia, aunt. Why did they call us that? Because we weren't just a bunch of white Americans coming down to check off our community service box and, and have our nice little international experience box and now we can go home and, and say, well, I'm such a good person. I did a good community event. We were family. And I felt a closer affinity to those girls, most of whom didn't speak much English, but yet they were believers. They were family. They were like nieces. I felt a closer affinity to them than I often do to Americans who are not Christians. And I'm like, you feel like a stranger while these people here feel like my nieces and their kids feel like my nephews. What is up with that? It's because we're a family. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God. That's what we are. Can you imagine going to a church where everybody was family? Where where when you see kids running around in the lobby or, or running up and down the stairs or checking in, that they're not strangers, but they're your nieces and your nephews, They're your grandchildren. They're your spiritual children. You're their spiritual fathers or mothers. You imagine how that would be if you you could go up to a kid in the lobby and say, hey, Susie, how was your band concert? If we did that now, stranger danger, right? But what what if it were different? What if we were the household of God? What if we were family? What if that's what it was like? That's what it needs to be. The target was moved. A uh, third way the target has been moved is from doing to discussing. From disciple-making movement to a church growth movement, from a spiritual community to a Christian nonprofit organization, and from doing to discussing. Now, I have an illustration that I want to share, uh, and it's really good. It was shared with me earlier this week, and I want to get the uh, pastor right. It's, this is from Pastor Ben Griffin at Westwood Community Church. Um, and so from doing to discussing, uh, imagine, imagine that your dishwasher is full of clean dishes and your, and your counters are full of dirty dishes. I know that it takes a lot to imagine that, but just pretend with me for a minute. And you want your kid to do a chore. So you say, 
I would like for you to take care of the dishes and wash them. And your kid says, all right, yes. Again, it takes a little bit of imagination. Just pretend. And so you think, great, this is good. Dishes can get washed. Four hours later, you walk by the kitchen and you notice that nothing has been done. So you go to your kid and you say, hey, what's, what's up with that? I thought you were going to wash the dishes. And he says, oh, listen to me, Dad. I have spent the last four hours studying dishwashing strategy. Did you know that there are 25 different kinds of dishwashers? You know, you can get so much in there, different strategies and techniques to how you load them. Sometimes it helps to wash them off first. But I checked. We have the right kind of soap. We don't have to wash them first. We can just put them right in dirty. Did you know you can clean the filters and do all this stuff? And guess what else I'm doing, Dad? Listen, listen. Tomorrow night, I'm having some of my friends over. We're going to have a little study group. We're going to go line by line through the dishwasher manual. We're going to dissect every paragraph, talk about the meaning of the words. We're going to get every, every detail of this manual down. And at some point you would just say, look, just wash the stinking dishes. Right? Because discussing is not the same thing as doing. Jesus said, John, 5, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will... If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, you will publish a biblical commentary about my commandments. If you love me, you will write a New York Times bestselling book about my commandments. If you love me, you will produce a Right Now Media video series about my commandments. He didn't say any of that stuff. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Somewhere along the way, we thought that talking about this was the same thing as doing it, but it's not. The target was moved from doing to discussing. So three ways that the target has been moved from a disciple-making movement to a church growth movement, from a spiritual community to a Christian nonprofit organization, and from doing to discussing. I want to close this morning by talking about how we're going to move the target back. How is God calling us to move it back? You've probably picked up by now the importance of being a spiritual community who loves one another and teaches and encourages one another to actually do what Jesus taught. And that's important. And we cannot do that. We cannot be that without relationships. We can't do that if we're all just church shoppers. We can't do that unless we're a family. So here's, here's Lake, as Lakeview Church moves forward, as God has called us to move the target back with our local congregation, here's how we're going to move the target back. We're going to move the target back by reorganizing our community around relational contexts, not events and programmings and ministry departments. We're reorganizing around relational context. Our focus is not going to be establishing new programs and establishing new events. Our focus is going to be creating relational spaces where people can interact and connect and relate in various ways. Does that mean we're not going to have any programs? Does that mean we're not going to do any events? No, we, we will. But we're going to do them differently and for different reasons. For example, we might still have a Bible study. But our goal is not to have a Bible study program so that we can get as many people into that program as we can. That's the old way. That's where the target was moved. We're going to move the target back and we'll say, look, our excuse is studying the Bible. We're going to create a relational space 
where the point is for people to interact and connect in a certain way. We're going to fill that space up with scripture. We're going to fill that space up with prayer. But the whole point is relating and connecting around God's word and prayer. That's the point. The Bible study is great. That'll be our excuse to come out. But really, it's all about connecting with God's word and prayer for one another. Are are we not going to do any events? No, we are. When we do an event like a campfire worship or a fall festival or a tailgating party, the point of that event is not going to be, what kind of cool event can we plan to get as many people to show up as possible? That's not the point. The point is, can we create a relational space where people can come and interact and connect and get to know one another in non-threatening ways, build relationships that will hopefully lead to more? It's a slightly different nuance, but moving that target makes all the difference. Doing the same thing for different reasons, aiming at a different target, will produce different results. And different relational spaces create different types of interactions and relationships. We see this in Acts 2. Look back at 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They had different kinds of relational contexts. They had the attending the temple together where they all got together and worshiped God, and then they left and they met in their homes in various sizes of groups to share meals together, to worship in their homes together, to have communion, right? They did all those things because different relational contexts create different types of interactions and relationships. And a room with 200 people, the interactions and relationships are going to be different than in a backyard with 30. And those are going to be different than in a kitchen table with six. It's just how it is, human nature. And we need all of those types of connecting points. Jesus himself modeled this. He had the 72 disciples. He, within that, he had the 12 apostles. And then within that, he had Peter, James, and John, the three. Right? He had a large group, he had a medium group, and he had a small group. And that's what we are looking at as we are organizing our church around relational spaces. We're looking at three types of relational contexts. Gathered worship gospel, community, and close friendship. Gathered worship, it's what we do on Sunday mornings. You might think of this gathering like the full-on extended family reunion with your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your second cousins and your third cousins once removed, whatever that means, and all that stuff. That's, that's what this is. It's everybody in the family getting together to glorify God and be in his presence together and hear his word. That's what Sunday morning is. That's the gathered worship. That's the big group. And then we ha- we're going to organize ourselves into gospel communities. These are smaller groupings. You might think of these like smaller family holidays. On, uh, on Christmas time, it's my family, my brother's family, uh, and my sister's family, and maybe my parents. It's not everybody. It's not all our cousins and our aunts and our uncles and all that stuff. It's a smaller, but it's still a family gathering. That's what gospel communities are like. We're going to see those. uh, We're going to launch those in September. I'm going to talk more about gospel communities next Sunday. The close friendship. You might think of that as your immediate family. Four, five, six people. Maybe three or four couples. Depends on the size and all that stuff. Getting together. Life on life discipleship. Meeting every week. Now, we call these growth groups. And I hesitated to name them because as soon as you name them, it feels like a program. 
and I want to make this point really clear. I want you to hear me. Growth groups are not a rebranded small groups program. That's not what they are. And here are a couple of key ways that growth groups are different. We're not going to have trained leaders. And we're not going to have a curriculum. Now, we have, we have experimented with some things. We've looked at some different resources and curricula. We've asked some of you to experiment and to try some things out and to give us your feedback. But we, we really believe that these are, uh, these are close friendship groups of people who are following Jesus together. When you sit at your kitchen table with three or four of your close friends, do you have icebreaker questions? No. Do you have discussion questions? Probably not. Is, is one of you a trained facilitator so that you could facilitate the discussion with your three friends at your kitchen table? No. Nobody does that, right? That's not what it looks like. It's just four or five or six friends getting together to talk about how are you doing? What's God stirring in your heart? And how can we pray together? You say, well, that doesn't sound like much. What about the program? What about the curriculum? What about, we're, now, we're going to resource you. We're going to equip you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to give you ideas. But you can do this. Every single believer, every single Christian has the ability to help at least one other person take a step with Jesus. Every single one of us can. And, and we don't need all the trappings and all the fancy stuff. As David Platt says, do you believe that you can make disciples without the performance, without the professional, and without the program? Do you believe that? Because somewhere along the line, American Christians said, no, I don't believe that anymore. I've got to have the program. I've got to have the book with six steps. I've got to have the, the training. I've got to go and get certified as a, as a discipleship trainer and all this kind of, and the early church didn't have any of that. They got together. They prayed for one another. They talked about scripture together. That's all they did. So we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to apply God's word to our lives as we encourage one another to do what Jesus taught. And that takes some faith. That's a different way of doing church. It's a different way of being the church. The question is, are we going to step off the edge and ski the slope? Are we going to do that? I'm going to talk more about gospel uh, growth groups tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more because they're part of the 63-day remove the high places thing. But so I encourage you to come back out tonight. But the, this is what this year is about. We're talking about vision and what's God calling us to this next year. This is what it's about. Are we going to load the dishwasher? Are we going to step off the slope? Will you do that? Will you ski this slope with us? Will we be this kind of church? Let me pray. And Stephanie, you can come up and we'll close out with a song. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, showing us so clearly in scripture, for speaking to the elders, to the ministry staff over the last three years as we've prayed, for helping us to see the target was moved, but you've called us to move the target back. And, and I know it's hard to grasp. I know it's a hard concept. I know that we get comfortable in our Christian bubbles with our programs and all these things. Lord, would you just drive us out of that? Would you drive us? Uh, Holy Spirit, you drove Jesus into the desert right after he was baptized. And I'm praying that you would drive us out of our comfort zones into that space where we're looking to you for every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that we would pursue you together. In Jesus' name, amen.